0: Tfm. Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing and Matthew, you've really been up in your wardrobe game lately, but I have to say that that Hawaiian shirt you're wearing today, if you're wearing that to impress the women on Riza, you may as well just stay here and record this podcast.
1: I mean, Chris, you know, got to stand out to get noticed. And uh, I aim to stand out. I'm going to order me some panfire catfish. And uh, yeah, well, I mean, hopefully they have that there, whatever the equivalent is, and uh yeah, I, I aim to get
0: noticed. You're gonna eat that by the pool and just and just wait for that uh, stress oh, yeah. relief oh, yeah. that Topol has promised you, right?
1: A hundred percent. I'm super excited <laughs> and I am ready to be relieved.
0: <laughs> I'm just picturing a captain on the bridge like, Sir, you're relieved. <laughs> you're relieved of beauty. <laughs> Please return uh, to your quarters. Oh man. All right. Man. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about an episode involving Ryza. Although they're not there yet, this is Fallen Hero. Here's a quick recap. T'Pol's plans to help her human crewmates relieve stress are interrupted when the Enterprise is ordered to pick up Vulcan Ambassador Valar from the planet Mazar, which is a convenient rhyme, after she is accused of criminal misconduct. Once aboard the NX-01, Valar surprises everyone Particularly to Paul, with her friendly behavior, and finds an unexpected ally in Captain Archer. So, Matthew, this is, I think, quite an interesting episode. Why don't we just start? Because we already teased it at the beginning. Start with a little salt and pepper here at the beginning. Let's talk about sex. <laughs> the episode opens with what today seems pretty normal, I think, but on television in 2002, this was a rather surprising opening for a Star Trek episode.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that this was one of those places. This is the season, the first season, and we are definitely trying to kind of, uh, you know, open things up when it comes to Star Trek. In in this show, specifically, obviously make things just a little bit sexier. And, you know, I, I think what this really does though is that it kind of breaks the ice in a really funny way and it's it's a conversation which is, a, is an interesting one for them to be having in the first place like I love that Paul brings this up I love that this is for Archer and Trip is kind of an embarrassing thing to have somebody bring up but at the same time I think This makes sense for this show to be tackling because we are at a different place in Star Trek history. We are at a place where this is the first time that crews are out there, that they are on the final frontier, and this would absolutely be something to which... You would have to try and figure out, right? Like, you know, if you are a captain and you are out in space for so many years possibly, what are you going to do? Are you just going to be, you know, someone who abstains, which, you know, can happen? But I think that this is a really interesting conversation for them to have because, again, you're on a mixed cruise ship. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, to Paul does bring up a great point: they're officers, right? And unless you're going to be dating in the officer pool, which is really small on Enterprise, really and you're of the same rank, yeah, right. yeah, then it's inappropriate for you mm-hmm. to so. I think all of that is, is just really, really interesting for the episode. And yes, it is a very funny way to open the episode. But I do think it is also a fantastic way to open the episode mm-hmm. and kind of allow the characters. And, you know, the other thing I think it, it does is it just allows the characters to have a little bit more fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it also it serves a couple of purposes. One is what you're describing and the other tying into the story of the episode is it sets up right from the beginning to Paul's observation of humans, which is important mm-hmm. for how she interacts with Valar where humans are concerned, how she right. prepares the humans for Valar coming on the ship. And then the whole resolution of the story where Archer and Valar kind of bring that human Vulcan understanding a little bit closer together in some ways, not entirely. It's a great contrast with T'Pol's views. And I also feel like mm-hmm. T'Pol's behavior in this episode regarding humans is colored by Valar being a Vulcan ambassador coming aboard, her wanting to present like a purely Vulcan mm-hmm. environment for her. Uh, contrast that with what we've seen of T'Pol in episodes before this, where she is becoming more comfortable with her human crewmates, and I think her her real view isn't as stuffy as it's presented to Valar. Sure, yeah,
1: yeah, and I think you know when it comes to that, I think T'Pol is expecting in many ways that Velar is much more in in line with what we would know of classic Vulcans. Mm-hmm. And what we see is that you know her experiences, just like T'Pol's, have led her to be able to be more adaptable to the situations. Like, and and what's really interesting here is that obviously you know Valar is the first ambassador. Really, uh, we know Saval, right? Mm-hmm. But she's the first ambassador that we feel like really actually spend a lot of time with mm-hmm. in the whole episode here, and she has. I think a more interesting way of like dealing with humans than say, even somebody like Spock's dad does because she somewhat mimics their behavior. She Mm -hmm. makes them feel comfortable by using a lot of their type of language. She, you know, greets them with a handshake. So she's really somebody who, I mean, to quote the apostle Paul She's all things to all people, right? And I think there's something really interesting. And of course, that's what makes her so successful as an Mm -hmm. ambassador in the first place.
0: Right. She does exactly what an ambassador a good ambassador should do, which is to be interested in the culture where they're representing their government, get to know the people, Mm -hmm. take part in the culture and the customs, and be adaptable. And I mean, not, yes. not all ambassadors are that way, but I think the best ones are. And I th- I think that just watching her and seeing how she's obviously curious about other cultures and willing to not sacrifice or betray her own views or beliefs, but to be adaptable to others and to to consider those and we don't see that with a lot of Vulcans and we certainly don't see that with Vulcans in the first season of Enterprise and it makes me wonder about Vulcans as explorers of space like if you're Mm. not if if you have this idea that your culture is superior and you kind of look down on most people you meet why would you be that interested in exploring space in the first place? Mm-hmm. And so then it makes me think, is Valar more representative of average Vulcans of this time period and the ones that we've seen so far are these stuffy military and government figures? Or is she the outlier? It makes you think.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that is a really good question. What I What I really enjoy... Uh, about her character and and I think one of the things that's really interesting is that you know with the way Vulcans kind of are quote unquote changed here mm-hmm. for enterprise, I think she's our first real inclination that Vulcans are very different than we thought. Mm-hmm. you know because of her capacity to withhold the truth, to possibly lie. To be a spy, basically. I mean, there's a lot going on here when you dig into this episode that's very different from the Vulcans that we're comfortable with from the original series. And so I think she is really the biggest indication so far that something is very different.
0: Mm -hmm. Although we have seen with Shadows of Pajam and the Andorian incident that that there are Vulcans who are willing to do that, but... It's but, a good point. But those are a bit different. It's different and it's not different. What we saw in the Andorian incident with the huge underground facility, you know, those are people that are obviously stationed there. They're probably military personnel. The monks themselves are part of it because they're aware that it's there. But this is a case where you have someone who is an actual ambassador being sent to represent the government mm-hmm. one-on-one who – is doing something that we would not expect from Vulcans. Maybe we would expect more from Romulans when we're thinking about Star Trek that we've known in the past. Right.
1: Well, and I think what you're saying, it it's, this is, I would rephrase then, this is just more confirmation. Mm-hmm. Like this is further confirmation mm-hmm. to build, like this is a great build, uh, building piece to add to that, um, that wall of like, wow, Vulcans, that there's something that is very different about them that we have not seen or really experienced before that is truly um, unique.
0: Well, it, I love you mentioned the handshake earlier, and I love that topol told them, do not try to shake hands. And then as soon <laughs> as as Velar gets there, she reaches out her hand to shake. <laughs> it's like right off mm-hmm. the bat. Things are different than Topol expected and the time she spends with Hoshi is great and she wants to speak English practice her English it's just so much unexpected behavior from her and I mean that leads to another topic here that we can delve into while we're talking about the Vulcans in reading some of the background of people who have worked on this episode Chris Black is one of the writers and he had said once in uh, Star Trek magazine, I believe it was, that one of the things that he liked about the story is that it answered the critics who had been disappointed with the way the Vulcans had been shown in Enterprise and helped restore balance to the series' portrayals of the species. So I'm curious what you think about that, because my first reaction to that is really was there a need to restore balance? Because we've often talked about how the portrayal is designed to set up an evolution of the Vulcans. And so I think it's an important part of the enterprise story. And sometimes I take this view as being like, oh, we we kind of messed up in our portrayal of them and we have to correct that. And then in this story, we've done that. Although I would still ask in what ways Did they do that? Mm -hmm. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that's. uh, I I don't really see this as being them fixing anything. I I feel like this just seems to be continuing to add nuance to what they've Mm -hmm. already been doing. Because I think to Paul's thought about who Valar is going to be is maybe what we kind of think of as much more classic Vulcan. Mm-hmm. And then what we get is a reinforcement of the fact that Vulcans in this time period are much different than we have experienced. And so I think to me, they do just a great job of continuing to add to what they've been doing. And I think do it in a really interesting way that allows us to explore then Mm-hmm more of to Paul and even her comfort level that mm-hmm. I think her discomfort level in some ways of maybe being confronted with how much she's changed.
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: And that maybe being why she is so uncomfortable with the fact that Valar seems so comfortable with making others around her more comfortable by allowing them and and giving validity to the way they speak or the Mm -hmm. customs that they
0: have. That's a lot of comfortables there. Everybody's comfortable. You're comfortable and you're comfortable. Except for
1: Yeah, (laughs) Except
0: for T'Pol. That's right. Yeah, I, I guess another way I could read the comment here about some sort of course correction is maybe there's this idea that the Vulcans had been portrayed as being too stern, too dismissive, too angry in the first season up to this point. And here they're at least bringing some Mm -hmm. jovial nature back. Some of that, uh, I don't know. I said curiosity earlier is what she has. And I think I always felt that Spock had a curiosity. So it's interesting that Vulcans are often portrayed as being so dry and maybe too scientific. Uh, scientists are curious. I mean, that, I I think to be a good scientist, you have to be curious. But I think often they can come across as being too dry and analytical, which is sure. what we get in the Vulcans here. And so so, so maybe – and I always felt that curiosity in Spock – Maybe more so or less so, depending on where we are in the original series and the films, but but I think it's there. So maybe a little bit of that character came back here with Falar that we hadn't seen up to this point. So maybe that's what Chris Black is saying, right? Uh, with that. Well, coordinate. and
1: and I think all the Vulcans we meet here are helpful to the mm-hmm. humans. You know, they yeah. are they're willing to be there you know, they're, they're willing to say thank you. They're, I mean, they're, they are in some ways, if you want to put, they're less angry and Mm -hmm. more, less standoffish. Yeah. But I, I think more than anything, what that helps uh, see is that there is, there's just nuance to the Vulcans. They're not um, a mono race at this mm-hmm. point, there's a lot of different reactions to their interactions with humans mm-hmm. and all of that kind of thing. So, you know, I think I think that's good.
0: Yeah. And I use the word angry, I think, first here, and then you mentioned it again there. And I think it's not that we think Vulcans are angry. It's just that they come across sure. as being kind of short and yes. grumpy yep. and grouchy and dismissive mm-hmm. uh, more so than actual anger yeah. but yeah yeah and, absolutely and even here we see that Valar is not she's not eager to forget about humanity's past you know they have to really earn
1: mm-hmm.
0: the, their place and even archer asks her, isn't a century of good behavior enough and mm-hmm. you do see that let's talk about to a little bit more because i think this is also a very good Once again, a very good character building episode for T'Pol and where she ends up at the end of the episode, in part because the title of the episode is Fallen Hero. And I think part of the problem here, of course, is that T'Pol knew who Valar was and kind of idolized her as an elder Vulcan Mm -hmm. and as an ambassador and her diplomatic accomplishments and then when T'Pol found out she's quite different than she expected and that she's done something that T'Pol would consider a black mark on her record mm-hmm. kind of really makes T'Pol rethink her own identity I think as a Vulcan yeah. and her own people.
1: Yeah and I think what's what's interesting too is is as you kind of Get the story deconstructed about what's actually happening with Valar and everything. We find out that you know she hasn't actually let to Paul down. She has continued to uphold who Paul thought she was, and it really becomes a story then about trust.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's interesting to think of the Vulcans as being characters who hold secrets and don't trust readily. And more easily. And, you know, so there's a lot of things happening in this episode. And I think Tapal is very much a representation of how there's a lot of misconceptions happening. Mm-hmm. There's the misconception between Tapal and Vilar, there's the misconception about from Vilar to uh, Archer, and vice versa. And it's really all about communication opening up between those parties to which really make things come together and that all comes down to learning to trust you know because at the end of the episode we see that she says that to Paul and Archer have created a bond a trust and a friendship that bodes well for humanity mm-hmm. and Vulcan's relationships and I think that's something that's actually pretty special you know I I think That's something that helps us see that, you know, we are on the right track. And I I think that's really cool, you know, uh, to to be at that point where we're like, oh, this is a relationship that is going to be pivotal for the galaxy, really.
0: And you're referring to the relationship between humans and Vulcans in this case.
1: Yes, but. Specifically, the relationship between DePaul and Archer is a relationship that is going to be pivotal to not only the galaxy at large, but to the relationship between Vulcans and humans, as well as to just Archer and T'Pol. So it's like working on all of these different levels, which I think is really interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you can kind of see it as an echo of Kirk and Spock as well of the captain and first officer human and Vulcan and uh, that relationship being between the cultures being established even early on like this. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot here pulling humans and Vulcans together in a way that we have not seen up to this point, importantly influencing Archer, as you say, and to Paul and their coming together really helps advance the relationship between the two planets which is pivotal to the the future of at least the alpha quadrant and really the galaxy when you you think about everything that we see later in star trek because each culture on its own i think can achieve a certain level but together specifically earth and vulcan were able mm-hmm. to achieve a lot of great things for not only themselves, but for many worlds. But first, they have to overcome this rift that's between them. And you still see it here. I mean, there's the conversation between Topol and Valar, where Valar says, obviously, Archer, and not verbatim wording here, but says, obviously, Archer has something of his own to overcome where Vulcans are concerned. And T'Pol explains, why well, he feels that we've held them back. There's also... When they, the ship is in danger and Archer tells Valar, yeah, we're going to take you back unless you can tell me some good reason why we shouldn't, because my ship's going to get blown up. My crew's going to die. And that's where Archer, Archer still isn't to the point yet of making a major sacrifice for the Vulcans, Mm -hmm. but he starts to cross that bridge, I think in the story, because of his interaction with Balor.
1: Well, and uh, yeah, I think again, that comes down to the fact that she sees him as somebody that she can trust and mm-hmm. she breaks down her own stereotypes and, and prejudices really against humans. Um, the same way Archer has been working to do as well. And it's when you both are able to do that together that you can start having actual, productive conversations with one another. And and I think that's what we get in the episode. And it does become another stepping stone in Archer winning the trust of the Vulcans to which he is coming in contact with. And mm-hmm. the more time he's spending with them, the more that he's earning their trust. And I think the, the it, it's also legitimizing the fact that he should be earning their trust. He deserves it for his behavior with them. And so I think that's something that plays really well with all of us too. So yeah, I really I think it's one of those episodes where it's kind of it has a lot of great themes in it that are I think very resonant for any time that you're watching this and it's not so preachy as mm-hmm. to kind of get in the way of you just enjoying the episode, but I think it it continues to remind us, and every time I've seen this episode, I am continue to be reminded that the the best way forward is through having a conversation Mm -hmm. and putting aside our preconceived notions about one another and or, at the worst, prejudices of one another, and getting to know each other one-on-one. And these Mm -hmm. characters do that, and they find each other to be trustworthy.
0: While we're talking about Archer as well, almost all the encounters that his crew has in deep space are first contacts at this point, for the humans anyway. And so someone whose trust he is not earning is the Mazarites. He has not earned their trust after deceiving them to save Valar. What did you think about his solution
1: I think what he does here is he uses the advantage of them not knowing humans yet mm-hmm. to the fullest extent, and I think he plays them well. What's interesting is is we learn from Valar is that we're dealing with uh, a corrupt group of individuals here, and so he has made an enemy of these Masorites, mm-hmm. but – The rest of the Masorites that will be helped by Valar's continued existence in the universe and then testimony, I think, is phenomenal. She's planning on coming back to testify at his trial and the trial about this corruption. And so, therefore, Archer has helped the Vulcans right a wrong that's been happening on this planet, which I think in the end will make him... Popular with the Mazarites who end up in power later. So, mm-hmm. and and I don't think it's something that we ever go back to it all. Well, yeah, which would have been f- interesting to yeah. kind of see so the fallout.
0: That's what I was going to ask you next. Is that yeah, it does end with with Valar confronting them and saying that she's going to mention all of this in her testimony, and. I think she would have been a good recurring character. Would you have liked to have seen a follow-up to this story, kind of like we did the Andorian incident? We had Shadows of Pajim, kind of a follow-up of sorts. And we have a, a few other instances of that in Enterprise before we get to the, the fourth season where we have the arcs. Mm-hmm. Would you have liked to have seen her come back and maybe have this Maserite situation come up again? Maybe see that trial, see the testimony? see Archer's interaction with Maserites?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I would have loved to have seen her again, you know, especially because I think she created a very interesting relationship with Archer. I almost... She she seems like somebody who it would have been interesting for him to be able to explore a further relationship with mm-hmm. just for them to get to know each other's cultures better. Uh, You know, I, I think... I can imagine them being interesting drinking buddies, which you know, <laughs> actually, just because I can I, see that. she, you know. <laughs> um. So I, I really, I, I think there was a lot of potential to bring this character back in a mm-hmm. really fun and enjoyable episode that was probably more lighthearted and was just more about you know cultural understanding type of thing. So, uh, in fact, you know, I think she would have been really interesting actually to. Uh, possibly have him be somebody to run into in the episode, like home. Oh yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. That would have been kind of a fascinating thing. So yeah, I I think she was a really good character, really interesting character that if enterprise had gotten more seasons, I think would have been phenomenal to be able to have her turn, especially Mm -hmm. in light of everything that happens with the Vulcan arc. I think she would have been a really interesting leader possibly uh, to kind of ascend uh, in the new Vulcan because of her good understanding of not only Vulcans, but maybe other beings as well.
0: Yeah, it's kind of surprising that they didn't bring her back during that Vulcan arc in season four. I wonder if it's a bit of the the rift between the Manikoto era and the Berman Braga era of Enterprise in terms of the storytelling, or if maybe just too much time had passed, or Mm -hmm. this episode just kind of slipped off the radar because it's a one-off. I don't know. It it would have made sense. And here's an idea. How about evil Valar shows up in In a Mirror Darkly?
1: (laughs) Uh, That seems like a waste, but no, I... I...
0: (laughs) She's wearing like black leather. She's got like heavy makeup on, spiky, you know, eyelashes <laughs> or something like that, kind of like a, yeah. Oh, man.
1: <laughs> I do think that they're probably, a, that when it comes to everything they're trying to do in season four, it is definitely, it's it's all about what they're trying to get done story-wise, and it's a lot less uh, about those kind of connections. So I, I I don't think it's on purpose. I just think it's one of those things which, you know, if they didn't feel so pressured, mm-hmm. it would have been different. So Yeah, yeah. I think the biggest thing, where well, there are a couple of big things that happened in this episode which I thought were fun. One is we do hear the phrase, live long and prosper. Right. And, which is really cool. And then we actually go warp five for the first time.
0: Yeah, right, right. And we see the Vulcan salute as well. Those are all firsts. And did we hear anyone so far in season one explain that Vulcans only mate once every seven years?
1: Um, I think that this might be the first time that T'Pol has mentioned that to anyone, maybe other than, yeah, I think this is the first time we hear that.
0: So I think it is, although I'd have to go back and check just to be sure. But I think that's the first mention, which would make it the first mention on the timeline.
1: Yeah. 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 So, which is is kind of fun.
0: It is interesting that this is the first time that we've actually hit Warp 5 when the whole premise of the show is the Warp 5 ship, but we haven't been there actual Warp 5 until now. All right. Well, any final thoughts on this episode and what's your rating for this one?
1: I really like this episode. And and in all honesty, I think that's the thing that I came away with. I, I thought that this was a great episode with characters uh, i thought this was a great episode to be able to explore more of the vulcan human relationship and so i would give this four out of five vulcan ambassador handbags um this is <laughs> a really i just it's a strong episode so i liked this one a lot more than i remembered uh and it's that's the fun of rewatching this is is getting that experience
0: yeah i like this episode for the cultural building of the Vulcans to help flesh out who the Vulcans are. Seeing an ambassador who acts like I would expect an ambassador to act was nice. And it does so much for the character development of T'Pol and Archer. And overall, it's just, it's an interesting episode to watch. It's like you said earlier, like it has really good messages in it, but it isn't preachy. So you can just watch it for what it is in-universe. And that's nice. And I also like that Valar drinks iced tea. As a Southerner, I like that she tried iced tea. I I just hope it was the really sweet kind. And uh, it's too bad they didn't give her a pulled pork sandwich as well. Although I guess as a Vulcan, she wouldn't eat meat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm going to give this episode four really loud Hawaiian shirts. I love it. All right, everyone. Well, we would love to hear your thoughts on Fallen Hero and any of the points we talked about today. There are many ways for you to do that. You can join our listeners group on Facebook. That's probably the best way to interact with fellow listeners and us as well. If you're already a member, you know what to do. But if you're not, just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L into the search field and it should come right on up. If not, type the whole name. It is a closed group. So if you're joining, please answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. We'll put a post for this episode there, and you can add your comments to the thread. You can also find us on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. That is our username everywhere in social media. And if you want to send Matthew and me email, you can do that by going to our website, trek.fm slash contact, use the form you find there, choose to send to a show, choose Warp 5, and that'll come to us by email. And also, if the app that you use to listen to podcasts lets you leave ratings and reviews, we would love to get that from you as well. That helps support the show and also can help other people find Warp 5. Now, Matthew, when you're not fleshing out your itinerary for that visit to Riza that's coming up in a couple of episodes, (laughs) where can people find you?
1: Well, when that's not happening, you can find me on social media under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. So Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd Pharaoh, all those type of places. Uh here on the network, of course, on the six oh two club with our whole other side that uh, doesn't talk Star Trek but we talk about all those fandoms we love and of course got some bonus shows in there as well so it's a great feed to check out uh, also doing literary treks in the orb literary treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek and then Chris you and I talked Deep Space Nine on the orb which is always a blast and then on the Nerd Party Network two shows one is a completed show I did with Drea Kaufman we talked on a show called Owl Post it's all about Harry Potter one chapter at a time and then doing aggressive negotiations with the great John Mills as we talk Star Wars each and every week. Uh, But Chris, when you're not trying to pick out just the right Hawaiian shirt, where can people
0: find you? Well, yeah, when I finish doing that, you can find me in social media. That's the best place. Twitter is where I'm most active. My username is C, Brian Jones, letter C, and Brian with a Y. That's my username everywhere in social media. And I'd love to talk to you about Star Trek or Japan or whatever you'd like to chat about. And then here on the network, you already mentioned we do the orb together where we talk Deep Space Nine. I pop in from time to time on literary treks, and Larry Nemechek and I do the ready room. We have a show called Interphase, and I'm working on some other things behind the scenes. So always staying busy with the network, whether I'm behind the mic or behind the keyboard. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. So hit me up there. See Brian Jones on Twitter and everywhere in social media. And if you'd like to help us keep this podcast and everything that we're doing on the network going, we could really use your support through Patreon. To find out how to get involved in the network and support what we're doing, please visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm. And we really could not keep this going without your help. So I want to send a huge thank you to everyone who is supporting us right now. Well, Matthew, it's gonna get hot next week because we're heading to a desert crossing
1: well chris i guess i better bring my sunscreen so let's go